Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. We are beginning a, a men's study. Um, it is called Conquer. It's, for, it's a series called Conquer. It's for men uh, dealing with sexual integrity issues, including pornography and other issues. Um, dealing with that, a sexual integrity discipleship series. Uh, it's a 12-week video series and discussion. Guys, if you are wanting to be a part of that, you can email me, and I'll get you the information. It's a private, confidential group, so I'm not going to just announce uh, all of the details with it, but it will be starting in a, uh, approximately a week. Uh, if you would email me, uh, it's uh, you can email it Aaron E R I N. Uh, my mom uh, did that to me, and so uh, E R I N at jcgillette.com. So thanks, mom, for that. If you'd like to be a part of it, though, we'd love to have you as a part of that. All right, let's get into the Word of God here today. If you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, you can follow along uh, either on the screen or you can follow along uh, in your Bible or if you're using an app on your phone or tablet, you're welcome to follow along that way as well. We started this new series last week. Last week uh, was the introduction to the 10 great words for life. The purpose of the series is to take a fresh look at the 10 commandments of God given in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. You will have plenty of opportunity to study those and read those, and I would highly encourage you to do that. Last week, what we looked at was the context. You cannot understand the old te- or the uh, the Ten Commandments without understanding the context and the flow of the story. If you just see the Ten Commandments as a list of laws and rules and regulations and expectations, you are missing the heart of what the Ten Commandments are all about and why God gave us those Ten Commandments. We understood last week that the context of the story was that Israel had been in slavery. They were in bondage for 400 years. Uh, They were crying out to the Lord. The Lord heard their cries. He saw their pain. He saw their suffering. He knew what was going on in their lives. And so God sent a deliverer. He sent Moses to be the deliverer and he delivered the people out of the bondage and the sin and the uh, slavery that they were in. This uh, reality of God being a supreme authority in life and in their lives um, explains why that the giving of the Ten Commandments doesn't just begin with just an utterance of the very first statement. He did not go to uh, the Ten Commandments and just simply say, here's the list, just follow the list. He started with a little bit of a, of a contextual story. He said this, um, starting in chapter 20, verse 1, then God spoke all these words saying, I better turn the screen here, saying, I am the Lord, that's Adonai, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That is the establishment of the context of the story. You can go back and read everything else, but the story flows in this way, God saying, I'm the one that set you free because I set you free, therefore, I want you to do this. I want you to do these things. These are the expectations. It was just 50 days earlier that the Israelites were sitting in bondage and sitting in captivity, and now 50 days removed, they're now walking in the newness of a free life, and they're understanding what it means to walk with God. Just 
50 days ago that was fresh in their minds. They saw these incredible plagues that happened in the, nation, or in, the, in the country of Egypt. They saw the Nile running thick with blood. They saw all of these uh, dead frogs heaped up in piles, probably stinking uh, around everywhere. They saw swarms of insects, hail, diseases. They saw darkness and they saw death. They saw all of that and then they saw God delivering them out of what they were in. Now, Israel's only contribution to the freedom that they had was just standing up and following God obediently where he was leading them. They had no other part of it. They didn't play any other role in their being set free. God did all of the work. And as he did all of the work now, he's going to lay out the expectations that he wants upon them. Now, that story in Exodus parallels our lives. God sets us free from the bondage of sin that we are all stuck in. We are slaves to sin. We are in bondage to sin. We are overwhelmed by sin. We are in a sin-filled world. And as a result of God setting us free, now he says to us, I want you to follow these expectations. This is what I want you to do because I have now set you free. He says the same thing that he did to them, to us today. He sets us free, and now here's what he wants in our lives. He goes on to say this, you shall have no other gods before me. What God is calling for in the very first commandment that he gives is undivided allegiance. Let's pray as we begin. Father, help me to speak the words that you want me to speak here today in a way that's clear and understandable, that the Bible comes to life for each one of us today, that it's more than just words on a page, it's more than history written thousands of years ago, that it becomes relevant to us of where we're at at this very moment. Father, help us to have no other gods besides you, that you are primary, that you are the one that we will worship we won't worship anything else. We won't bow down to the culture. We won't bow down to the economy. We won't bow down to the pressures of this world. We will alone follow you and submit our hearts and our lives to you. Help us, Lord, to have no other gods. And if we have other gods in our lives that we haven't even realized, convict us of that. Help us to repent and help us to follow you with all of our heart. Lord, teach us now about what it means to have undivided allegiance to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know if, if you remember being a kid, and I still think that they do this in schools today, but when I was a kid in school, we started every day with the Pledge of Allegiance. And the Pledge of Allegiance, the purpose of that was to make sure that you were staying committed to the allegiance that you had. In this particular case, it was to the flag and to the United States of America for which it represents. We are pledging our allegiance. God in this statement, is calling us to make a pledge of allegiance to him. He does not want to share the spotlight. He does not want to share uh, his throne with anyone else. He wants to be God and God alone of our lives, that we follow him with an undivided allegiance. The same way that they did then is the same thing that we are doing today, where we say, God, I pledge my allegiance to you. You are my authority, and out of a sense of duty, I want to follow you, but also out of a sense of privilege. I want to follow you as Lord and Savior. Again, God said these words. He spoke to them 
saying, I'm the one that set you free. I brought you out of the house of bondage. Therefore, as a result, because of that, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, I want to point your attention to one word there. It's the word before. The word before in the Hebrew language is the word panin, and the word panin means in front of. Have no other gods in front of me. It also means in the presence of. Have no other gods in my presence. And it also means against. Have no other gods against me. Literally, it means do not turn your eyes or turn your head to something else and give allegiance to something else. Instead, you follow me with all your heart. The God of the Bible, not a God of a cult, not of a God of a false religion. The God of the Bible says, I'm the one that set you free. Now I expect you in return to to not bow down to anybody else, but instead worship me. There will be no other gods before me. This is a constant theme that God has in the Bible. Isaiah 44, 6, he says this. Thus says Adonai, Israel's king and his redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. There is no God beside me. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 60, it says this, May all the peoples of the earth know that Adonai, he is God, there is no other. There is no other God. There is only the God of the Bible, God alone. Joel chapter 2, verse 27, it says this, You will know that I am within Israel. Yes, I am Adonai, your God. There is no other. Deuteronomy 4.35, you were shown so that you might know that Adonai is God. There is no other besides him. God will be God alone. And his expectation, because he set the people free, because he sets us free, is that we will not bow down or put before him any other gods. Do we do that? That becomes the question. Is this relevant today or is this just meant for the 4,000 years ago at the time of Moses? When is this relevant for? Well, there's two things I want to look at today in this message. And that is, number one, I want to look at the recognition or recognizing a divided loyalty. And then secondly, I want to look at repenting of a divided loyalty. So what I'm going to ask you to do is just a little soul searching. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Are there any false gods in my life that I bow down and worship? Now, now again, this is all going to come together and all going to make sense. But let me, let me try to explain a little bit more of the background. The deliverance that the Israelites had out of Egypt... They were there for 400 years, and the deliverance that they had was a miraculous thing of God. God gave these plagues in order to let the people go. Now, the plagues were not just a dramatic sign to Pharaoh in order to convince him to let the people go. The 10 plagues were very significant. The 10 plagues were direct, uh, direct confrontations to 10 different false gods that the Egyptians worshipped in that society. Let me give you some examples. One, there was a god by the, in the Egyptian society by the name of Osiris. You've probably heard that name before. Now, Osiris, they thought of Osiris as having the, the Nile River was the bloodstream of Osiris. So what did God do? He turned the Nile into blood. What was he demonstrating? Not just a miraculous thing. He was demonstrating that he is God and Osiris is not. 
Then there was another God. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but Hecate or Hecate, H-E-Q-E-T was the name of this God. This was the frog goddess of birth. Now, I didn't know that they worshipped frogs in that culture, but they did. Frogs were a sign of worship. And what they would do, they were revered, they were sacred, and so you could not kill a frog in those days. So, I, I don't know, I guess there were frogs everywhere back then. But what did God do as a result? Now, frogs being sacred, it was a sign of, of uh, fertility. So God killed the frogs, And there were piles of frogs laying dead because God was demonstrating, I am over this, I have authority, I am supreme over this goddess that you have. There were Egyptian gods covering fertility and crops and livestock and health. So what did God do? He sent plagues to demonstrate that there is no other God, it is only God alone. The ninth plague that he got to was a plague of darkness that covered the land. Now, the plague of darkness in this ninth plague was a direct confrontation to the sun god named Ra. You've probably heard that name before, the sun god Ra. God was demonstrating that Ra is nothing, that he is supreme and has authority over this God. The final plague, the plague of the death of the firstborn, God was demonstrating himself to be supreme over the entire Egyptian pantheon of gods and even demonstrating his power over life and death. And so God was demonstrating this. He was demonstrating that he can topple all of the gods and all of the rivals that were there in Egypt by his mighty outstretched arm. The only logical response then was this, that we won't put anybody ahead of God. We will bow down and worship him. He will become the supreme authority of our lives. The one and only true God gives the very first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. It's the language of a sovereign speaking to a servant. It's not negotiable. It's not something that he says, you could, if you want to, go ahead. This is a command of God. You will worship me because I am the sovereign and you are the servant. Now, the question becomes, do we bow down and worship him? Are there false gods in our society? In that society, there were false gods. And you may look back on that society and you may think, well, they were, they were naive, they were simple, just a bunch of simpletons. They had no idea. We have science. We have the science. And the science tells us something different. We have, we have health care. We have the medical uh, community. We have the economic community. We have money. We don't, we don't bow down and worship false gods like they do. Well, I want to suggest to you that we do worship false gods in many different ways when you define what a false god is. So the question is, what then is a false god? Here's the answer. A false god is someone or something that's followed devoutly, sacrificed for, and looked to in order to find meaning, purpose, significance, And deliverance from problems, anything we put faith in other than Jesus becomes a false God. So just take that definition apart. Anything in your life that you look to for meaning and for purpose, for significance, 
and for deliverance from problems. Anything you sacrifice for becomes a false god. So, is there anything in your life that you look to for the deliverance of problems rather than God? Well, yeah, all the time. When you first find out if this ever happened to you, it's not happened to me, it happened to my wife, but when you first find out you've got cancer, what is your first instinct? Well, for most people, it is what medical treatment can we come up with? How, how can we treat this? What is the approach we should take? Who are the doctors we need to go to? What is the hospital we need to be at? What's the chemo? What's the radiation? Is there any other new thing that we can try? That's the first approach. So what are you doing? You are looking to something else for the deliverance of problems rather than God. You're in a bind financially. In that bind financially, what do you do? You start coming up with ways that I can get more money. How can I get more money? How can I raise more money? How can I accumulate more money? And what are you doing? You're looking at money for the deliverance of problems rather than God. Any time in life that we look to something for meaning and purpose, significance, and the deliverance of problems, it becomes a false God. But not only that, what do we, what do we sacrifice for? Well, I know a lot of parents, and I'm probably just as guilty as many, a lot of parents who sacrifice for their children rather than sacrificing for God. You understand what I mean by this? A lot of parents who will say, you know what, church really doesn't matter. God doesn't matter. What matters is my kid making it because I know they're going to be a pro and I know that they're going to, you know, and I'm going to live vicariously through them. And when they get praise, I get praise. And so I am sacrificing for the kids. I sacrifice, maybe you sacrifice for your spouse in an unhealthy way. You sacrifice for your job. Anything in life that we look to to find meaning and purpose and significance and the deliverance of problems, whatever we worship, whatever we bow down to, becomes a false god in our lives. It may not be Osiris, it may not be Ra, but it is something that we are bowing our hearts and our lives to. A false god is the one who becomes my source of life. That's what a false god is. They become my source of life. Everything that I find in life, my meaning, my purpose, it's all wrapped up in who my gods are. And so I would suggest to you that a lot of, not only our whole culture, but a lot of people in the church world itself have false gods in their lives. It may not be an outright, I'm rejecting God and I'm taking something else, but most often it's God and. God and the healthcare system, God and the economic systems, God and my job. It's combining the two. How do I know that this is the case? Well, you remember about three weeks ago, I was sharing with you three weeks ago about a book that I had been reading by the Barna Institute. It was by George Barna called A Biblical Worldview uh, of 2020, 2021. So it's a new study that was put out just in the past couple of years. And this book indicated that in our culture, out of all of the adults in our culture, that seven out of 10, 70% of all of the adults in our culture say they are Christians. Now, when you drill down, you realize that no, they're not. Because they may use the title, but they don't believe it. What 
a Christian is, is somebody who believes in the gospel message, believes in salvation by Jesus alone, trusting and putting your faith in him, that's where salvation comes from. So really they don't. So really if you narrow that down, it becomes four out of 10 people, 40% that say, yes, we believe that the gospel message is true. The problem is only six people, 6% out of 100 actually follow the Bible and have a biblical worldview. So what that means is this, that out of all of the adults in a room, let's say there was 100 adults in a room, out of a room of 100 adults, six of them follow the Bible for their worldview. They take the Bible, they read the Bible, they say this is the guide for life, this is the filter through which I identify, this is what I'm going to use for my life. Six out of ten, or six, I'm sorry, out of a hundred say that's what I do. Everybody else says, no, God, I'll follow you, but I'm going to follow my own way, my own thinking, and my own plan. In the evangelical church, the numbers are a little bit better. It's 20 out of a hundred in the evangelical church. We are an evangelical church. The evangelical church just means the good news, the believing in the gospel message. 20 out of 100 in a church. So if there were 100 people in our room, 20 of them would say, we have a biblical worldview. 80 would say, we don't. See, we like God. We like the idea of God, the concepts of God. We just won't bow down and worship him. We're gonna worship our own way and our own plan and our own ideas. You follow what I mean? That's a problem. Uh, by the way, in the Catholic Church, it's 1%. One out of 100 have a biblical worldview in the Catholic Church. That's a real problem. When you come to God in the very first command, and he says you will have no other gods, do you know what you do then by default? You take his word and you say, this becomes the grid for my life. This becomes the filter. I may not understand it. I may not agree with it. I may, I may question it. Doesn't matter. This becomes the grid through which I view life because I have a biblical worldview because I have bowed down and said, there will be no other gods before you. It will be you and you alone. One of the problems that people have today is they have confused the idea between a source and a resource. A source and a resource. Cameron, I can't change that slide anymore. Um, they don't understand what's the difference between this source and a resource. Now, let me tell you what those differences are. A source is what you look to for life. It's what you look to to provide you meaning and purpose in life. A resource is something given by God for the enjoyment of life. So how does all of this work? Source is this. A source is God and God alone. A resource, for example, is money. God gives us money to be able to live life. Money is a resource. God is a source. God is a source and a house is a resource. He gives us a house. We use the house. We love having a house, but it's just a resource. God is the source. God is the source. A car is a resource. A car is a gift given by God. It just gets you from point A to point B, but a car is just a resource given by God. God is the source. My kids are a resource. Sometimes they're a resource. The kids are a resource given by God for the enjoyment of life that I can raise them. God is the source, okay? 
The confusion happens when I take everything in this category and I put it over here in this category. How does that work? Well, instead of money being a resource, now I have moved money into the source category of life. The source category then says this, I live for money. I worship money. I need money. I can't ever have enough money. If that is your source and the economy collapses, which we're in trouble in our economy, just want you to know, if it ever collapses and money is your source, then you're wiped out because now your source is gone. If your house, which is a great resource, if you put your house into the source category and your house burns down, devastatingly, it's going to be sad, but if you've put that in the source category, then your God is dead, and everything you live for is gone, and you have no more meaning and purpose in life. If you take your children, and you take them out of this category, and you put your children into the source category, as soon as your children fail, mess up, don't do good enough on the field, the, you know, the court, or the ice, you're going to be devastated, and you're going to take it out on your kids, and you're going to punish them unjustly because they failed to live up to being the false god that you've created. If you take the healthcare system and you put that into the source category, if you take your career and you put that into the source category, if you take your hobbies and you put that into the source category, you will always be left hurting and empty. God is the source. We will bow down to no other gods before him. We will worship him and then everything else will be flowing in the right order. It starts with this, you shall have no other gods before me. Here's some examples of false gods in our society today. Uh, things like this, fame, influence. People want to be influencers. They want to have fame. Why? Because that becomes more important to me than anything else. And if I get fame, everybody's going to notice me and like me and think I'm so wonderful. Appearance. People base their whole identity around how they look. And what their health is and how they dress and comfort. To be comfortable becomes a false god. Substances become gods of our lives. Education becomes a god of our lives. Science becomes god of our lives. Religion. Religion is man's attempt to try to reach God. We come up with false religions. That becomes our source of life. Family and children and romance and sex and money and materialism and careers and hobbies. These are all the things that we start to bow down to. There's one common theme in all of these, and the real God behind it all is the God of self. It is the God of me serving myself and pleasing myself. And we live in a culture that feeds on this. If you have teenagers, even younger than teenagers, you know this to be true. Because every day, if you have a teenager, they've got their phone, and they're holding their phone out in front of them, and they're given the, the pouty lips, and they're, they're taking pictures, and it's a hundred a day, and I've got to, because it's all about me, and I've got to post it everywhere, because I want everybody to know how wonderful my life is, even though I'm not, and even though it's a mess, I want people to think it is. It comes down to satisfying myself. We live in this society that we are bowing down and worshiping false gods all around us, and we've never known to call it false gods. It's not Osiris, it's not Ra, 
but it's the gods of our society, the gods of politics, the gods of culture, the gods of, of economics, the gods of healthcare, the gods of comfort, the gods of self. Do you have any gods in your life like that? That you are bowing down and worshiping rather than worshiping God alone? Have you put your faith to deliver you from your problems in something other than God? God will not compete. He is a jealous God. He will not share the spotlight. He will not share the stage. He will not share the throne. God will be God alone. Which is why he says, there will be no other gods before me. I'm the one that set you free. Nobody else did. Money doesn't set you free. Healthcare doesn't set you free. Osiris didn't set you free. Ra didn't say, I set you free. Therefore, there will be no other gods. So, do you have any other gods? If you do, what do you do about that? Well, now it's the time of repenting of a divided loyalty. So if you recognize that there's some divided loyalty, and I think we should all do some deep soul searching because it's very easy in our culture to fall into this. But when you recognize this, what do you do? You repent of it. Repent means to change one's mind. It means you're going in one direction, you do a big U-turn, and you go back the other direction. You go away from God, now you're going to turn back to God. That's what repentance is. When you recognize false gods in your life, the God of money, the God of fame, the God of comfort, the God of science, the God of education, you repent of that. Say, God, I'm sorry. I want you to be the God of my life. You repent of it, and in fact, you even need to maybe have a little bit of a funeral for those false gods in your life. Let me give you an example of this. In the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 35, it's an interesting story. Genesis 35, we find a guy by the name of Jacob. And I talked about Jacob last week. Jacob was the father of 12 sons. They became 12, the heads of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. He would really become, in many ways, the father of the nation of Israel. Jacob had had a horribly tough stage of life, but he was very repentant. He had had a really come face to face with his own failures. His daughter had been violated. His sons went out and extracted terrible vengeance on this event that had happened because Jacob wouldn't do anything. Jacob had wrestled with himself. He had wrestled with God. He had he had uh, he had wrestled with Esau. He was a man broken of self-reliance. He was very soured on his own cunning and his own deceptive nature. Um, he had crisis after crisis after crisis. And there's nothing like a crisis to bring you to the end of yourselves. In this crisis, he decided it was time to make a pledge of allegiance to God alone. God spoke to him in Genesis 35, and he said these words. Then God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel. The other words are that is, get up, quit sleeping, Quit doing what you've always been doing. Arise, get up, go to Bethel, and I want you to dwell there. And when you get there, I want you to make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household, in preparation for what they were going to do, he said, I want all of you, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel. 
and I'm going to make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they all responded. They gave Jacob all of the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears and the nose rings and the tongue rings. I'll throw that in there too. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. Now, a terebinth tree is where they always performed a lot of the idol and false god worship. Now, Jacob could have destroyed all of the idols in any way that he wanted. He could have thrown them into the lake. He could have burned them. He could have cut them up into pieces. But instead, what did he do? He took a shovel, he dug a hole, and he buried the false idols there and began to worship God and God Alone. So what did he have? He essentially had a funeral for all of these false gods in his life. That begs the question to us today. And the question is this, what gods do you need to bury and have a funeral for in your life? Do you need to dig a hole and have a funeral for the God of money that you have been worshiping like crazy? You've been working and worshiping and bowing down at the altar of money. It has driven you. It has controlled you. It has cost you everything. Maybe it's cost you some family relationships. Maybe you've lost loved ones over your pursuit of money, your need for money, your incessant craving for money, your lust for it. And maybe today you need to dig a hole and bury the God of money in that hole. Maybe your God is a career. Nothing wrong with a career. Fine to have a career, as long as it's a resource. But maybe your God has been your career, and you've become a workaholic, and you've sacrificed, and you've slaved, and you've bowed down to the career God, and maybe it's time to bury that career. Maybe you've bowed down to the career or to the God of hobbies, whether it's golf or fishing or hunting or whatever it might be, you have bowed down and you've worshiped this. And it's okay to do, but you're not just doing it a little bit. You're obsessed with it because it's become your God. And maybe it's time to dig the hole and put the God of hobbies into the hole. Have a funeral for it. Maybe your God has been your incessant need to live vicariously through your kids and you've sacrificed everything for them and you realize, you know what, it's okay for my kids to do this, but I can't keep bowing down at the altar of my kids and their sports and it's time to bury that false God because I have been looking at it as a false God. Maybe your false God is materialism and you are just consumed with material things and you've gotten yourself in debt over your head in debt and it's time to bury that and realize I don't really need this. Why am I doing this? What are the gods in your life that you need to have a funeral for that you need to bury so that you can do as God said, have no other gods before me? And do you have any gods in your life like that? Anything in your life that God is just saying, I want you to put this to death. And follow me with all of your heart. You know, I found it interesting. I'm, I'm doing a study 
of the book of Revelation. If you've not tuned into that, I would encourage you to. It's, it's, it's a video online. You can uh, just through our website or YouTube. Um, but it's every week. We're, uh, I've just been going through the book of Revelation and other end time stuff. But I'm just struck in the book of Revelation at the end of it, there's this new Jerusalem that comes down. And in this new Jerusalem, it says that there are gates that are made of pearl. There are jewels, encrusted jewels everywhere. And, you know, and, and there's gold, gold-lined streets everywhere. And it kind of makes it feel like an opulence. It kind of feels like, wow, that's something to look forward to. I can't imagine that. And then I just was struck with the fact that, you know, in God, those things are just common. You think about it. The path is made of gold, and you think this gold is amazing, but the path is just like walking path. It's like asphalt. God is almost saying this, those things are immaterial. You're striving for it, but it means nothing in God's economy next to being with him there personally. God wants us to bow down and worship him and him alone. And to have no other gods before him. Are you doing that? Is that your heart's cry? Knowing that God has set you free from the bondage of sin, from the slavery of sin that we were in, trapped in this world system. When God set you free because you trusted Jesus and he set you free from that, has your heart's desire been in turn to say, God, I will pledge my allegiance to you. I won't be divided. I won't have any other false gods. I want to worship you and you alone. Let's pray as we wrap this up. Father, help us to worship you and you alone. If there are false gods in our lives, things that we are bowing down to, maybe it's money, maybe it's politics, maybe it is the healthcare system, maybe we're bowing down to education, Maybe we're bowing down to materialism. Maybe, Father, it's our hobbies that we are bowing down to. Maybe it's a career that we are pursuing or have built, and we are bowing down to those things. If there are any false gods in our lives, Lord, would you please just put that on our hearts right now? Help us to hear from you. Is there anything in my life, Lord, that I need to dig a hole and bury it metaphorically? Anything in my life, Lord, that I have been worshiping other than you, that I have been trusting in for the deliverance of my problems, that I have been finding my meaning and my significance through. If so, Lord, help me, help us to repent. Say, God, we will worship you and you alone. I will trust in you and you alone. Doesn't mean that we won't use the resources you give, Lord but help us to put those in the proper category and in the proper place. Father, we thank you for meeting with us today. Would you please bless and speak to each one in only the way that you can. Give us a wonderful week. Help us to serve you and bring us back here next week for another opportunity to worship you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Hey, thanks for Amen. listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. 
If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.